0: I want to read several things from Master Kupal's writings, which, all of which go to point out the enormous and tender care that the Master has for each of us, and also how it, he never leaves us. He does not leave us, no matter what we may think. And, uh, to me, this is perhaps the central point of the path, at least it's the thing that has made it possible for me to do the path over the years, is this recognition Of the fact that regardless of my inadequacies and my mistakes and my failures and the way in which I have often disregarded or belittled or not taken seriously the things that the Masters have said, despite all that he continues to love me and to um, shower grace on me so that I may continue to keep going. And this is true of all of us. You know, it's a question of, there is a certain amount of... uh, cooperation needed on our part, although the Master will find a way to get that cooperation, and many of the stories center around this. Uh, The story of the greedy man and the stuffed chapatis centers on this particular point, that uh, the master used the greedy man's own greed as the way in which he finally got him to acquiesce in the showering of grace. And that uh, is the way the master works with each of us. But when I was leaving, India in 1973 and Master called me over to say goodbye. The first thing he said to me was, if you let me, I'll go all along with you. If you let me, he repeated that and emphasized it, I'll go all along with you. So we do have to let him. We don't have to do anything else. But we have to be willing, in meditation, we have to be willing to be dragged up. We don't have to do anything else, but we have to let him drag us up. That's our part, and it's important that we do that. But what we should know is that the Master does not stop loving us, even if we don't let him. And he will find a way to persuade us to let him. It's the way he works. I want to read, first of all, a couple of sections from his book on prayer, which is one of my favorites of all the books on the path. Uh, This is chapter 22, Gradations in Prayer, and then I'm going to read a section from chapter 23 immediately after it. Master says, in the course of time, an aspirant begins to feel more and more the need for spiritual uplift than for mere physical comforts. In talking about the way in which prayer can change for us as we grow and mature spiritually. We start out by praying for those things that we need in order to deal well with physical life but then uh our our, out, our outlook changes and we want things that help us deal with spiritual reality in Brihadaranyaka upanishad we have this prayer from the unreal lead me to the real from darkness lead me to light and from death lead me to immortality. As soon as an aspirant begins to have inner experience, all worldly enjoyments lose their charm. Having had an experience, howsoever little, of the unchangeable permanence, he now finds no pleasure in the ever-changing objects of the world, subject as they are to gradual decay disintegration and ultimate dissolution he asks no more for physical comforts what shall i pray for when nothing is permanent kabir the whole world is slavishly mad following the epicurean principle eat drink and be merry none has time to think of god and the inner self but nothing in the world holds any attraction for a true aspirant he makes best use of whatever comes in his way and works but to satisfy the bare needs of his body and spends the rest of his time in sadhana or spiritual discipline so as to derive the greatest benefit for his soul for times without number have i drunk life to the lees Without thy saving grace, O Lord, Nanak hath no release. Guru Arjun. hereafter the aspirant lives just for the manifestation of Godhead within himself and to sing the glory of his name. Let the lotus feet of the master rest in the heart. Let the tongue repeat his holy word. To live a life of constant remembrance Nurture ye this living temple of the Lord, Guru Arjan While on this path the pilgrim traveler realizes his ignorance and knowing his incapacity Extends to God his hands in prayer O Lord make me swim safely to the other shore. I know not swimming extend to me thy hand of help Namdev As his angle of vision changes, so does the nature of his prayer. At first, a person prays for the fulfillment of his physical needs, but when one starts on the spiritual path, he prays for the removal of such obstacles as come in his way. For example, sense turmoil, mental chattering, ingrained karmic impressions. This period is most critical in the life of a sadhak. Until actual self-realization, he is in a state of perpetual restlessness, tossing back and forth. He belongs wholly neither to the world nor to God. While in the eyes of worldly people, he is a man of piety, yet in the heart of his heart, he knows he is full of iniquities. Farid the Sinful is still robed in black, though the people address him as Darvish. Farid Saad. In this state of uncertainty, the sadhak at times tries to snap away and escape from the struggle. But after a time, the inner urge once again comes upon him and he takes courage and starts godward. Should a traveler while traveling fall down, there is nothing to wonder and cavil at. O Kabir, one who sits and starts not on the journey has an immeasurable distance yet to traverse. But until a person is able to subdue his senses and sensory organs and rid the mind of oscillations, the kindly light of God does not dawn upon him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light, Christ. He who controls his ten organs, heaven's light dawns within him, Guru Arjan. The wiles of the mind are both very subtle and risky. It often lies in ambush and makes its inroads when least expected. The ingrained evil propensities, though invisible, are very strong. And time and again they come to the surface to deliver blows which often prove fatal. The coil strikes out like lightning with such sharp and sudden twists and turns that man by himself is helpless in its clutches. Here comes the need for the long and strong arm of the Master which stretches forth with equal agility to his rescue. Subdue the mind with the power of the master. Swami Shuddal Singh. Mind cannot come to rest unless it is overshadowed by the power of the master. Malana Rumi. The sleeping mind comes to its own by constant thought of the master, Guru Ramdas. And at another point, the Master has pointed out, in another place, the Master has pointed out, that uh, if we fall down while moving and we pull ourselves up again, we have at least moved forward by a body length. So it is not ever a thing that failing or falling down is ever anything to be ashamed of or to think that it only happens to us because it happens all the time and the master knows very well that it happens. He knows that it's going to happen and he knows what to do to enable us to keep going and he will give us that. He wants us, the master relates to us from the point of view of someone who loves us and wants us to come home. It is like, really, I mentioned yesterday the Hymn of the Pearl, um, Hymn written by the Apostle Thomas, and how the parents of the guy who was sent to Egypt to rescue the Pearl, the King and Queen of the East, how they sent the letter to the guy and uh, how they brought him home and welcomed him home. And that's what the Master is doing, you know. I mean, the Master is the letter. He is also the parents, is both. And he functions both as the welcomer and as the bringer back. His job is both ways. But he will, he must bring us home, and he will bring us home. That's his job, and he's very good at doing his job. So we should have no doubts or fears on that regard. But we do have to let him, and part of the of the game is the ways in which we try not to let him and the ways in which he work, persuades us to let him. Anyway, this is chapter twenty three. I'm going to read some from the beginning and then a bit from the section further on called What to Ask from God. Once a certain king intended to go abroad. He inquired of his queens as to what gift each of them would like him to bring for them from the foreign lands. One of them asked for costly jewels, another for rich apparel, and still another for cosmetics. Some asked for fineries, and others for delicacies, etc. The youngest of them, who loved the king most, requested his early return so that she would not have to languish long in his absence. The king, on his return, sent the various gifts to his other queens and himself went to the palace of the youngest, and was highly pleased that there was someone who loved him the most, much more than his riches and wealth. The queen, too, thanked God for her good fortune that her husband was with her and that she needed nothing else. The rest of the queens, though each one of them had got what she wanted, had not the good fortune to claim their husband's attention. All their riches and gifts availed them not without their beloved. In exactly the same way, we, through short-sightedness, ask from God or God-man for trinkets of no consequence and not him and his saving grace. And like the different queens in the parable, suffer most the pangs of separation. All the riches of the world fail to give the least satisfaction. On the contrary, these things distract us from the truth and make us more miserable. If we could but win his grace, we would then be in want no more. All his riches come to us automatically without asking even if they had denied for one reason or another it matters not for without him and his love they are dirty trash all riches and fineries befit him who has won him and even without them what care if he were to live in poverty guru arjun our most elementary needs of the body to wit our most elementary needs are of the body to wit food clothing and shelter for these things we strive hard working madly and restlessly from morn till night we sacrifice our very self to procure these comforts if any comfort they provide do we not realize that when a child comes into the world his life plan is sketched out beforehand without this nobody would be here at all With destiny all shaped, the mold is cast and the spirit enters therein, ready to take his life's journey in the world. With a predestined plan, one comes into the world, O Tulsi, with all this, the mind does not accept it. Dame nature now gets ready for the royal reception of the prince of the universe, providing milk in the mother's breast, shelter in the mother's lap, and an army of attendants to attend to his minutest needs. The powers of nature mobilize all their forces to claim the prince child as their own. But as the child grows and develops into adolescence and begins to feel the life impulse surging in him, the world, as a foster mother, claims him as her own and he fondly clings to her and her gifts forgetting his native and prenatal home in heaven. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. Shades of the prison house begin to close upon the growing boy. Earth fills her lap with pleasures of her own. Yearning she hath in her own natural kind, and even with something of a mother's mind and no unworthy aim, The homely nurse doth all she can to make her foster child, her inmate man, forget the glories he hath known in that imperial palace whence he came. From the poet Wordsworth. Again, all the gifts of the world are purely ephemeral. They are always in an unstable and changing state. Nothing is permanent. Everything is subject to decay and dissolution. Momentarily, things appear and then recede back into the fullness. In the twinkling of an eye, the world itself sinks into the great deep. Kabir. Midst the ever-changing phenomena of the world, there is but one unchangeable permanence, and that is God and God in action the Holy Spirit, Kalma, Nam, or Word, responsible for the creation, sustenance, and dissolution of countless universes. Why then should we not long for, ask for, and pray for that imperishable life principle so that we too may have life everlasting and come to our central heritage, our eternal heritage, the everlasting Godhood which is our birthright. Listen ye to the call of the hollow man, manifest thyself, O Lord. Nanak has humbly reached thy door through the grace of thy devotee, Guru Arjan. Our native home is in Sachkhand. Ages upon ages have gone by since we parted from the Father And we are still in exile in this world the soul that rises with us our life star hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar wordsworth we must then yearn for a reunion with the beloved separated as we are from him for myriads of ages and it is of the if we can keep in mind, remember, I've talked a lot about perspective, point of view, uh, the ways in which it is impossible for us on this level to do justice to, to even think about the manifestations on a higher level. The Master as He really is, the higher planes, kinds the Absolute, All those things are words to us because we have not yet developed the, you could say, the apparatus to um, be able to receive them or connect with them. But the Master comes down for us and he is willing to subject himself to our limitations so that we can have a glimpse of the higher reality. And that glimpse can remind us of what we once knew but have forgotten. And then uh, we can willingly cooperate with him as he drags us up. I once, it's important, there are a couple of things that are important, actually there are thousands of things that are important, but I will say that I'm thinking of now uh, once I was sitting with Master Kapal at his home in Rajpur. Uh, he had a, a house in Rajpur, a village uh, not far from Dehradun. And uh, it was from there that he eventually um, built Mount of Kendra, and then he moved to Mount of Kendra from there. Um, But he used to come up to that house for retreats, and he would bring people with him sometimes. And the Himalayas were right behind the house, that is to say, there was a mountain that rose up, very sheer, right directly behind the house. You went down uh, from the house down through an orchard, and there was a a reservoir which was usually dry, and then a river was at the bottom of the land which was, actually mostly dry, too. It was only a river when the rainy season was there, and then across the riverbed was the mountain. And it wasn't a very high mountain, but it was a, uh, you know, a foothill of the high Himalayas, which were not very far away. And there was, at the top of that mountain, there was a temple to the goddess Durga Vakali, and, uh, I once climbed the mountain and went saw that temple, and uh, a number of people did that over the years that were staying there. Anyway, once in 1965, um, a few of us were sitting with the master at the back of his house in Rajpur, and we were looking at that mountain. And uh, one of the ladies present, some of you will know Lucille Gunn, who was went to India, was there quite a lot in the early days, one of the first people to actually spend time with the Master in India, actually. And she said, "Um, Master, give us the strength to climb those mountains. And he said, no, it's better to pray, Master, drag us up. We do have to get past the idea that we can do it. Thinking that we can do it on our own, that we can climb is a great error because it will get in the way of our letting the master drag us there is a reason why in the initiation instructions he says several times the master will drag you up that's what's required the particular trap we are in we cannot get out by our own efforts we can allow by our own efforts someone to help us that's what we have that's our option we can do that And we do do that, and that's how we get helped. But we cannot do it by ourselves. So it's very important. And the other thing, um, which we should always remember, is that the Master does not, you know, the Master really practices and teaches and lives nonviolence. I have known, you know, I've spent a lot of time with two Masters Master Kripal and Sanchi, and uh, I have to say that I very seldom, if ever, saw them force anything. They don't work that way. I remember one time uh, in 1984, or maybe, uh, no, it was 1990, at Sanchi's tour to Saint Bani Ashram that year, um, a fellow came to talk to me whose wife was initiated, but he was not, and he said to me, I was very, very skeptical of this guru of yours when I came here, but uh, watching him work and seeing how everyone relates to him and hearing him speak, I realized that he's a master in the Taoist sense. That is, that he does not make anything happen or force anyone to do anything or push anyone. He simply is and lets others be aware of that and follow him. And I thought that was a very accurate description, considering that he had only been around a few days, of uh, what I had observed. I have often told, uh, you know, when I arrived in India in 1969, and I had uh, this tremendous reunion for me with Master Kripal. I had not seen him for four years or thereabouts, um, when I'd been to India last, because in Master Kripal's day, we did not make regular trips, and he didn't come over here very often either. Sanchi instituted; he was very gracious on us, and uh, we had many, many more chances to be in his physical presence than uh, in Kripal's day. But um, it was, I was—I was so glad to see him, and it was like—it was like this overwhelming realization of what he was which i had almost completely forgotten although i had not i didn't realize that until i actually saw him again anyway we were sitting on the porch and he was talking to us that was being taped and this noise kept coming in on us from inside the house it was the noise of a television set and it was so loud and it was like drowning out the master sometimes And we were straining and straining to hear, and I kept thinking, why doesn't the Master say something? Why doesn't he have them shut that set off? Who wants to hear that? And there were the Savadars. were all inside the house watching the television, which uh, Taiji had gotten a few months before. It was this tremendous new thing, and they were so excited about it. And uh, cuckoo totally. Master didn't particularly want the TV, He didn't care about it, but he let people have what they wanted. And he even let them play it when he was giving darshan. And it didn't, I guess, occur to him to tell them to stop. Because he just didn't work that way. And I observed this with Sanchi hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. Um, He would not. He didn't even like to rebuke people. I mean, God knows he did. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has experienced that. But um, it was not his chosen way of relating to people. And the whole thing about the path is that even though we are dragged up, even though the master has to be the doer because of the nature of the reality of the universe, um, the process on our part has to be voluntary. It cannot be forced, and it is not forced. And One of the reasons that works is because if we see this, if we get into it, that the whole process, especially the process of meditation, but also the process of surrendering to the Master in every area, is one of intense enjoyment, okay? There is, when meditation is done accurately, when we are completely and totally absorbed in the process of simran, dhyan, or bhajan, there is nothing more enjoyable on God's earth. There just isn't. Nothing can compare with it for sheer enjoyment and bliss. This is why God, in the Sanskrit scriptures, God is referred to as Satyarananda, existence, knowledge, and bliss. In the process of going to Him, The process of reaching Him is also existence, knowledge, and bliss. And that bliss is ours, you know. It's it's our birthright by virtue of being born as human beings, but it's also our heritage as the gift from the Master when we come in contact with Him. So we should always remember that. Uh, You know, this is what is being offered to us. People think about the path as uh, at least some people do. I mean, I've been, you know, I've had a lot of contact with people over the years who see the path as repressive and uh, it makes you not do things you want to do, and makes you do things you don't want to do. This is a tremendous misunderstanding. In the, you know, the Master does not really stop us from anything. Uh, he may suggest that we not do something, but he does not really prevent us, it's still up to us. And on the other hand, what he wants us to do, he makes so enjoyable that if we really do it and discover that, we don't want to do anything else. We want to go within because going within is the pleasantest thing we can do with our life. And that's the secret, you could say, the real secret of the universe, that the way out is, is trumps everything in the world on its own terms. It is more enjoyable than all the so-called enjoyments. And, uh, and furthermore, it doesn't even you know if we continue to enjoy enjoyments um, after having had, a, having had a glimpse of the real enjoyment, that real enjoyment colors the enjoyments of the world so that we get more enjoyment from them, because of the perspective that we can bring to them. We no longer uh, are subject to their illusoriness. We see them as they are, and what there is that's really enjoyable, we can take that, and the rest of it we don't care about. So it's a very profound thing, and uh, what the Master has to offer, what he is offering us, what he is allowing us to take part in, is indeed the innermost secret of the universe. And that is our heritage. And as he says in many places, our birthright as well. All human beings have that birthright. I do want to read one more section from the book Prayer. And um, and then a couple of letters Also from the same chapter, What to Ask from God, under the section called Ask for God, Master says, one may invoke help in crucial moments of his life, from God or from a God-man, for he alone can rescue him from such slippery moments. Full of the deadly sins and tormented by lusts of the flesh, I cry. Rescue me by thy grace as best thou may. O great and compassionate one, I am at thy mercy. With austerities and penances one cannot escape, but with thy glance of grace take Nanak out of the blind well. O Lord, save me. I am incapable of doing anything. In thy mercy, grant me the gift of Nan. Guru Arjan. I pray to the Guru, the Beloved of God, A filthy worm am I, oh grant me the light of Nam." Guru Ramdas Mind can be controlled only by the dun of Nam or the celestial strains of music, and it is for this that one has to pray. No other type of yoga, ganana, hatha, karma, etc., can be of any avail in this connection, nor has anyone been able to escape from the clutches of the mind with all his wits about him. One may tame the wild mind only through the practice of Sat Shebhad or Nam, the true word, and one can have initiation into this practice from some adept in the line. The moment it comes into contact with Nam, the mind gets docile, and instead of being an arch traitor as hitherto, it turns into a positive ally and helps the spirit in its onward march on the spiritual path. Oh, I have got the treasure of Harinam. My mind now wanders not, but is in eternal rest. Guru Teg Bahadur. Listening to the dun, the mind gets stilled, None of the myriad of ways can work this miracle. The yogin practices yogic exercises. The ganani is immersed in ganana. The hermit tires himself out in lone solitude. The anchorite does endless austerities. Those who meditate on the mental patterns, they too suffer from a great delusion. Learning and knowledge are of not much avail the wise, in the end, have to rue their wisdom. The pundit engages in the recitation of the Vedas, but all his sacred lore fails to take him any nearer to God. No other means are of any consequence whatever. The only beneficial way is that of Shabbat. When a master of the sound current appears on the scene, the disciple, too, begins to feel the yearning of the new birth. With the practice of the surat-shabd yoga, the mind-stuff gradually sinks within itself till nothing remains. Swami Shivdal Singh When once this contact with Nam is established, the Sadhak always feels the presence of the higher power, and the power remains forever with him wherever he may be. On the snowy mountain tops or in the burning desert sands. Reveling in the greatness of that power, he leaves all his cares to him and becomes indifferent to everything around him. He cheerfully accepts whatever comes his way as coming from him for his benefit alone. He consciously sees the divine will at work and smilingly surrenders himself to it with words of genuine gratitude on his lips. Now notice, this is not; these are not commandments. This is a description, a factual description, of what happens when a person becomes aware of the greatness of that power and the omnipresence of that power. This does not mean that you gotta do this. You gotta smilingly surrender yourself to it, make it happen. It isn't, that's not what the Master is doing here. He's simply describing the way it works. He has no longer any wishes and desires of his own except what may be of God. Now he works as a mere instrument, moving like an automaton under the influence of that power. He sees all creatures, high and low, just as tiny specks set in an orderly harmony in the immense universe surrounding him. He now divines a procession which is orderly, an order which is harmonious, obeying a will infinitely above him and yet infinitesimally careful of him. Notice that sentence. He now divines a procession which is orderly, an order which is harmonious, obeying a will infinitely above him and yet infinitesimally careful of him. In this way is established a complete harmony between the soul of man and the soul of the universe. At every step he cries forth, Let thy will be done. All creatures, the highest to the lowest, are at thy mercy, and thou carest for them one and all. Whatever pleaseth thee, that is best. Nanak has no other wish but this. Whatever pleaseth thee is good. Thou art forevermore, O formless one, Guru Nanak. Saints always live in this state. Being one with his will and conscious co-workers with him, Prayer of itself becomes a heresy for them and savors of skepticism. Nature's forces simply wait on them. However slight a thought may arise, it must, like an immutable law, prevail. God is ever with his devotee and looks after him with more care and attention than any loving mother would give her child. Kabir, describing the condition of his mind, tells us that it has, like the water of Ganges, become so transparent that even God has become enamored of him. Kabir, thy mind is now as clear as the Ganges water. Even God himself restlessly follows thee, shouting Kabir, Kabir. When all the desires of a devotee get automatically fulfilled, he naturally becomes desireless. The wish-yielding treasure of Nam, becoming manifest within, takes care of him at every step. When the great donor is with the devotee, the devotee has nothing to pray for, for he is one with him and there is nothing besides whom he may address. Guru Arjan draws a wonderful pen picture of this state of perfect satiety. Deathless is he, and I have nothing to fear. He being immortal, I have not to wail. He is not poor, and I have no want. He being above sorrow and pain, I too have none. Besides him, there is no destroyer. He and I live eternally. When he is free, there is nothing to bind me. Both of us are above the stage of bondage. He being immaculate, I, too, have no stain. He being within me, what taint can I have? He has nothing to think of, and nothing is left for me to think. Neither of us has anything to gloss over. Desireless is he, and I, too, desire nothing. He is spotlessly pure, and so am I. I have no existence apart from him, for he alone is. Oh, Nanak, through the Master has this delusion disappeared. Having dipped in him, we are dyed in one color. Now that, of course, is the state of mind of a Master, but it is indeed the state of being that is open to all of us. We can have that. This is what we are offered. And when Master Kripal says that we have the birthright to become God, uh, this is what he is talking about. To be able to see things from that point of view is the whole uh, essence of everything, really. And it answers all our questions. It solves all our problems. It doesn't exactly solve the problems. It They don't seem like problems anymore. They seem like something else. And I, I'm gonna close reading one letter of the Master. This is from the book Spiritual Elixir. This is a letter that has meant a lot to me over the years. And it, among other things, it closes with the very powerful um, statement, Master is always with the disciple and never leaves him or her until the end of the world. The father will never disown his children. He doesn't say, until he leaves the body. He says, until the end of the world, meaning uh, when the world does end, by the way, just all of his children will be with him in such kind at that point, so it's not an issue anymore. He will not disown his children. The Master leaving the body does not make him go anywhere. It means that it is not as convenient for us to have darshan as it used to be but that does not mean that he is any further away. And the fact is that the Master is closer to us than our neck artery, as the Quran says, and it is, um, he doesn't go anywhere. I remember, this was true when he used to go from one place to another on a physical plane. In Washington, D.C., toward the end of the 63 tour, somebody said to him, Master, I wanna know when you're gonna come again. And Master said, well, where am I going? Why are you sending me? And uh, he's, he pointed out that he never goes anywhere. So it's, you know, it's easier for us if we can get to him physically, but it is also said the longing for darshan is greater than darshan. Things that are easy are not always the things that give us the most benefit. So he hasn't gone anywhere people. I assure you he's right where he always was. We can reach him just as we always could. There's no no worry about that. All right, this is the master's letter and this will conclude the satsang today and for the weekend. Regular attendance at the satsang meetings is very useful and helpful. It keeps the mind on the spiritual track. Avoidance of undesirable society is still another necessary factor, and all of these are extremely important in the beginning. A sapling needs water and nourishment. These factors go to nourish it until it grows into a big tree which mighty elephants cannot shake. The outgoing faculties are to be inverted and the mind stilled. For this, the remedy has already been given to you. Consider how great a blessing of God you have received. You can develop it while living in the world. Be brave. You cannot run away. That is the work of a coward. But there is one important thing to note. Try to surrender completely to the Master, and under the cover of his power, protection, and grace, you will wade through the waters of life unscathed. The loving father will protect you like a baby, in the might of his strong arms, and pass you scot-free from the fires of life without a burn. Everyone errs. Through these errors, you have to grow into a pure and lustrous soul. Weed out the shortcomings one by one. The diary is a necessity and must be used for this purpose. It helps you to keep an eye on your ethical side of life, for this must be developed along with the spiritual growth. Remember that the father wants to embrace his child. If the child's clothing is soiled with dirt or mud, he will not forsake him, but cleanse the child and take him or her into his lap. He is always with his children whom he loves a hundred times more than the proverbial love of a mother. I am glad you felt the Master walking with you on June 7th to shake off your great load of anxiety and paralyzing nervous reactions of the wrongs done to you by others and that it toned your spirits. As long as you live in the world, you must be up and doing. You must work with ambition and wholeheartedly and therein lies all beauty. All of creation is beautiful. You love God. As he is imminent in every form, you must love all his creation. But be not attached. Just as you go to a garden, you enjoy the beauty of the flowers and the verdure of the bushes, but you do not pluck the flowers or uproot the plants. Otherwise, the gardener would take you to task. You cannot have the results according to your desires or expectations. So always do your best and leave the results to the master overhead. And whatever the results are, take them with good cheer. They are always beneficial to the initiated because the master power working overhead knows what is best for his ailing child. But while it is so, The Master is not limited by time or space. He is always with you, even though he be thousands of miles away. Please learn to be receptive to his grace and feel his kindly presence, riding with you on the buses, chatting with you in the street, sitting with you in the park, by your office desk, and accompanying you every morning to the office slowing down by the lily pond to check the new flowers and walking with you in the evening all the way back by the new moon master is always with the disciple and never leaves him or her until the end of the world the father will never disown his choice